Hey guys, good morning to everybody. And uh, if you guys don't know me, I'm Dave Ogden. Uh, you've probably seen a lot of you guys see me around here. We're pulling an audible this morning. David Hill is uh, up in his cabin and Murphy's Law has kicked in, which means uh, electricity has gone out and internet's gone out and all that kind of stuff. So the last minute we're kind of pulling some audibles here. So, hey, I want to say good morning to everybody here. We got a group here at the, at the house, the first responder group. I know we got groups all over um, Orange County and West Orange County that are meeting. Uh, and welcome to Ironman. Uh, Ironman is a community, a men's ministry, a community where, where we get together, we learn to, uh, to learn, to love, and to lead. Uh, it is a men's mission group that was started by David Hill and eight or nine other guys actually in his, um, in his house. And the reason and the purpose that it was started because the guys wanted to get together. Uh, they wanted to learn about the gospel. Uh, they wanted to get dig deeper into the gospel. Uh, they wanted to love, love, uh, love God, love others. And uh, I think most importantly, they wanted to love their wives, learn how to love their wives uh, as Christ tells us to love our wives. Uh, and then the last thing I think all of us men want to do is we want to lead. Uh, we want to lead and be on mission and be on mission for him. So I think that community initially started with eight or nine guys in his living room each and every single uh, week, actually started monthly and then it started weekly and it's progressed to what you've seen today. Well, of course, today we have COVID, so we're, uh, we're online here. So that's a little bit different, but I can tell you personally, the, uh, the ministry has been a blessing to my life. It was a direct answer to prayer probably about six and a half years ago when I was looking for a, a men's ministry that was, uh, that was gonna be, in my opinion, was gonna be solid. That was gonna make me dig deep and was gonna hold me accountable. It was gonna make me uh, uh, learn the gospel a lot better. So I'm, I'm so blessed, uh, so fortunate to be a part of this ministry here. So guys, I know we may have some first time guys here. If we have any first time viewers uh, for us, if you can kind of raise your hand, if you look on, uh, whether you have an iPad or you're on your phone or something, hopefully you may have a little box that says you can raise your hand. I'm trying to look down uh, the list right here. Uh, to see if anybody's new. We just want to welcome you, welcome you to this community. Uh, also, uh, David Sanfilippo will be on later on and talk to you about um, how you can get into a, uh, a smaller group at the end of this. So right now we're going to ask uh, Pastor Ralph Howell from Lightbridge Church. Ralph, can you kind of pull your camera up, say hi to you for a minute? Hey, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? So again, I'm doing glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. Hey, uh, uh, Ralph is a great guy, uh, lead pastor over at Lightbridge Church. Uh, Ralph and I actually just got to know each other here in the last year. I know we had lunch. We're due to have lunch again. Just an awesome, awesome man doing some awesome ministry over there. He's going to introduce our uh, speaker today, uh, Marius Vanderit. And uh, Ralph, uh, actually, you're going to uh, open up prayer first, and then you're going to introduce our speaker, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I'm glad to do it. Thank you for all you do. Uh, let's, let's bow together in prayer, man. Father, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for this day. You've never made it before. You'll never make it again. And yet you've given us this day that we might know you better. So, Father, all of us that prioritize this time because we do want to do just that. We want to meet together in Christian fellowship and in the midst of the presence of your spirit and the truth of your word. Father, we want to be drawn closer to you. I do pray that you would comfort those who are uh, dealing with situations today. Father, I pray that the, by the end of this time together that we would be uh, encouraged and strengthened in you. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd envision us to the role that we play as men in our communities and our families and our churches uh, and in our nation. So, Father, we love you. And again, we prioritize this time. Our hearts are open and expectant uh, for you to further your kingdom in our lives. 
We do thank you for Marius and all that he, he does in the community. We do thank you for who he is in his walk with you. And we pray that you would anoint the words he speaks this morning, that they might touch our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much for leading us off. And, and actually, I, I, will, I will get the pleasure of uh, introducing Marius, but uh, so, so appreciate you having you, you come on. And um, I know, I know uh, many, many of the guys uh, know who you are, and we'll see you, uh, we'll see you at church soon. Um, hi, everybody. I get the pleasure of introducing our, our special speaker this morning. But first, I did want to call out, uh, there were some guys that raised their hands and so I want to welcome uh, Bob Pittman and, and Bruce Pulver, uh, new guys to Ironman. Uh, so, so glad to have you. This is such a special group. Uh, and we would welcome you to join us every week. This is Ironman Coffee, as Dave, as Dave Ogden said. And so uh, we also meet every week, every month we have Ironman Coffee, where we have uh, prestigious guests, as you're going to hear from today. Marius, hey, Marius, th thanks for popping on. I'm going to introduce you here in just a second, but please stay right there. Okay. Um, uh, so great. Well, um, I am uh, so privileged to introduce our special speaker this morning. And um, to do so, I will have to read his bio. Uh, and, and as I read it, um, really take in these words. And, and uh, we are just so blessed to have Marius. The community is so blessed to have Marius. Uh, for, for 30 years, Marius led a successful military career in, in South Africa, uh, beginning as an infantry soldier and eventually becoming a decorated senior officer and defense attache for Washington, D.C., uh, garnering knowledge at high levels within the government sector, positioning him well for transition into private enterprise. Uh, with just a six-man uh, group, six-man group of uh, a logistic contract in Iraq proliferated into Reed International, which is a multi-million dollar security and logistics company with over 2,000 employees worldwide. Uh, Reed advanced to become a major defense contractor for the U.S. government, uh, the United Nations, Iraq, and also provides subcontracting work uh, for international and U.S. Fortune 500 companies. And being affected by generosity uh, uh, and, and other uh, generosity uh, of others throughout his life, Marius passionately stewards Kingdom Impact Investment, uh, giving initiatives and creating a legacy of, of servant leadership and sacrifice for his, his family, his community, and his, and his country. And that's that's Marius's bio, but I'm, I'm sure he would agree. And I'll, I'll tell you, uh, he's also going to be married for 50 years in July. Uh, many of you know Marius's name or know have had the pleasure to meet him personally, or, or maybe some of his children. Uh, he is uh, he's created some amazing offspring as well. The the Lord has definitely given us Marius. Uh, he's got 14 grandchildren. Uh, four of which were adopted from Ethiopia. Um, and I'm so sure that that probably just gives you a fraction of who Marius is, but it's a pleasure to introduce you, Marius, and I'll jump off and uh, just so looking forward to hear your words this morning. Thank you so much. Mike, thanks. I, uh, <clears throat> thanks for the introduction. And um, Dave, I know you're, you're out there in the mountains uh, without electricity. I hope you can hear us as well, but thank you so much for the, uh, for the honor of letting me speak here. With all these great guys and all the, the iron men of god um 
it's such a privilege and and as a uh, I mean now of course uh, an American and uh, uh, all my my whole family are Americans and my grandkiddos and all that but it's uh, it's quite something to be uh, transitioning into a country like this and to be given the gift of America is to us such a such a special thing so so thank you for for this privilege this morning yeah I um, one of my grandkiddos in fact has COVID uh, Mahari one of the uh, the uh, adopted guys from Ethiopia um, got COVID. So, so Reno is um, uh, my son is is in his home quarantined with the kiddos. And um, and in fact, uh, there's a funeral today of one of the guys, uh, one of the very well-known guys out of Mosaic um, that has passed from COVID. And uh, there's um, it's so interesting. Uh, it, it's it's uh, COVID is affecting us all. So sorry that we have to be all on video like this rather than um, in the uh, in that lovely space above auction coffee um, and that we're meeting like this I uh, today I'm going to talk or uh, speak on loyalty and as you know the the whole theme is around the um, the book character carved in stone and the uh, the 12 virtues that um, are given to the West Pointers um, and one of them is loyalty. So I'm speaking on loyalty today and, and uh, the various aspects um, of loyalty and how to get it, how to um, give it. And uh, I'll start with, you know, as you heard, I, I was in Iraq quite some time as a uh, security and logistics contractor. And one of the jobs we had was to protect a national key point for the Iraqis. So we had to to um, get some bulldozers and push big berms, big walls around this this national key point. And um, then, of course, on the national key point, we had to build some towers. And uh, I mean, on the on the, the the berm, and then also within the berm, um, some areas where you could stand and, and shoot. And so when it was all done, <clears throat> we were all ready for this. And the Iraqis said to me. Um, but Marius, where where are the the escape routes? Where how do we you know when the enemy comes? Where do we um, how do we escape? Where where are the tunnels to escape or the or the, the the gaps to escape? And I said, I I'm not quite with you here. I mean, we're here to if the enemy does come and if we do have to defend this national key point, that's what we do. And uh, I mean, it's the loyalty to your country and to your fellow men that uh, we will defend this thing. And there was a quizzical look on their face and saying, but uh, no, our, our loyalty is, uh, is to our tribe. Our loyalty is to our family. Um, this country loyalty thing, um, that's, that's way down on the totem pole. And it just struck me uh, how uh, different loyalty is seen here and there. And I'll get to that in a moment as well. But on the other side, those same people who who talk about loyalty to their tribe, in other words, the sheikh and their family, I want to tell you that they take that extremely seriously. Um, I, uh, it was the end of 2003 and things were getting pretty hot in Iraq and, and um, the, uh, the, the, the bath party had been closed down and, and there were big hassles going on. Um, and so it was getting pretty dangerous and I had to drive up to, to a little town called Tikrit um, more towards the north of Iraq. In fact, Tikrit was where uh, Saddam Hussein <clears throat> had been born. That was his village. 
And I had to go up there and, and dwelt getting dicey, and there had been some attacks. So I asked one of the, the sheikhs, the, the, as I say, the sheikh, um, whether he could help me with maybe um, a guard or two to travel with me. Um, and uh, he, he said, of course. And he, he gave me two of his cousins. And he instructed these cousins to protect me. And he also gave me a little Uzi weapon that I could have in my car. And so I, we, we drove up, and it was myself and a doctor with the one cousin in the back seat. And then the other cousin got a driver, and he was in a car ahead of me, um, like sort of a rabbit just checking, checking the road, as we used to call it. And uh, as we were approaching to Crete, um, and he was ahead of me, the, the one car was ahead of me, um, a, uh, an insurgent vehicle came alongside us and opened fire and strafed our, the, the, over the top of our vehicle um, and indicated to us that we had to pull over um, and they fired in front of the vehicle and there were a lot of, lot of bullets going around. And, um, and the, the doctor who was driving immediately pulled over. I said to him, you know, maybe we mustn't stop. Maybe we must fight our way out of this. But anyway, we stopped and the, the cousin um, in the back seat immediately opened the back door and leant over the top of the car and started shooting at the insurgent who had stopped a little bit ahead of us and was getting out of his car. Well, there were two of them. But the, the rabbit vehicle, my white vehicle, had, was just ahead. They also realized we'd been stopped. They stopped and the other cousin got out of the car and started firing from that side. And that stopped the insurgent for a moment, uh, and he, the, 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 the two of them, they paused. And so the, the cousin in the front, in the front vehicle, <clears throat> was starting to move towards me, and he got a stoppage. Completely jammed up his, his weapon. And that point, he still ran, and he put himself between my vehicle and the insurgents, and he screamed and shouted at them, the cousin behind me was still firing, but but there was there was this 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 whole situation where there was a Iraqi with his jammed weapon, screaming at the insurgents, holding up his banishing his weapon, and putting himself between me and that insurgent. And the insurgents got in their vehicle. They obviously got intimidated, got in their vehicle, and drove off. And they realised that uh, to take our vehicle and to kill us was not going to be that easy. And they drove off. My point is this. His loyalty to his sheikh was so important to him that he was willing to put his life on the line for me, a foreigner, uh, because his sheikh had said so. So I, I suddenly got a different, whereas I had been thinking, hmm, they don't even have loyalty for their country, uh, and yet uh, th that type of loyalty. So the levels of loyalty. Now for us, to get back to the whole character of Carlton Stone and, and, and West Point, you know, our young men and women in uniform are taught specifically um, about loyalty, about how to get loyalty, how to give loyalty, loyalty to their country, loyalty to their fellow men and women. But guys, I don't know whether you <clears throat> have therefore thought about that. Here we have men and women in uniform, and be it in the military, the Air Force, the Marines, the, the Coast Guard, the police, nurses, these people give us their loyalty just because we are Americans. 
So imagine, loyalty, the word loyalty, just to remind you, it's unswerving in allegiance. It is the synonyms is faithful, devoted, dedicated, constant. So imagine us as Americans are getting that from all our men and, uni and, and men and women in uniform, just simply because we are Americans. What a privilege. Uh, as I said in the beginning, I, I, I got this gift of America by being able to come here, and it, it's, uh, it's a privilege. And I hope that, that you all realize that gift of that loyalty of all our men and women in uniform, and that we honor them in that we honor our flag, we honor our anthem, we honor what is great about this country. Because it really does, it, 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 it's something uh, to be deserved. We can't just get it. So we all understand loyalty is a two-way street. And um, if you want to earn loyalty, um, you must do things. Um, and there are, there, there are a number of things in the book that um, in the chapter of, of loyalty that they go through it. The, the, the book turn, talks about um, mentoring and uh, advancing the careers of those under you. It talks about keeping your office door open. Um, you guys know these things. It, it, it talks about giving credit where credit is due and, and um, challenging your people for greatness, uh, jumping into the foxhole, as they say, with them, being real and, and, and knowing people by their name. And we, we know that. I, I just realized that in, in the real world, um, in all this, in business, but also in the military and, and in creating a company that is sort of like the military. To earn loyalty, you have to earn respect and you have to earn trust. Again, you have to earn the respect of people and you have to earn their trust. And through that, you will get loyalty, your company will get loyalty, um, you, you, your family, your children, it's, it's about trust and respect. So um, let me share a couple of war stories um, that illustrate, certainly for me, as I saw, uh, through trust, through respect, um, how I saw people gain loyalty of them, of their men. First, I, as we started in Iraq and as we started building our security company, um, when I started, there were there were seven companies there. Um, by the time I'd been there for about three years, there were 52 companies. We we formed a, uh, the Iraqi. Um, Association of uh, Security Companies, and we started with seven uh, to try and govern ourselves. And as I said, we, we ended up with about 52. So you'd get contractors in, uh, they'd come into Iraq, and they'd immediately look around and see whether they can get better pay from better companies and jump around. And it was very difficult to, to hold people in your company. And of course, to train them and things took a lot of, lot of time and, and money, and, and then they'd, they would just jump. And my country manager said to me, Marius, you know, we really have to demand some loyalty from these guys. They, they can't just come here and, and leave. And I thought about that and I thought to myself, well, hang on a second. Um, where should their loyalty lie and, and, and what can we do about it? So at that time, I had about, um, uh, I suppose, 
I think about 400 guys uh, we, were, we were still building. And, and um, I, I got them all together and I, I spoke to them. I said, guys, uh, I want to just let you all understand. You do not owe me your loyalty. You don't own my company. Remember, they were all independent contractors. They could come in and they, 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 they were all, they as such, worked for themselves and then they were an independent contractor to me. I said to them, here's the deal. Your loyalty is to your families, for those loved ones that, that are, are in whatever country, because I had people from, from of course, uh, American, but, but British, Australian, um, Fijian, uh, Ugandan, uh, Filipinos, uh, oh, you name it. Um, South Africans and and so I said to them your loyalty must lie with those at home and and for for the reason that you are here in this extremely dangerous environment um, and you are getting money and I understand that for this danger so I agree your loyalty should not be here but to earn your loyalty and not let you shift I want to say to this I will I will pay you the same as the other companies but what I will do is I will make sure you have the best equipment. I'll make sure that we have satellite linkage to all the vehicles so that if you push a panic button, uh, you'll get help immediately. I will make sure that you have burn suits to wear um, as part of your, your uniforms so that uh, because there were a lot of IEDs and things going on and it was, it was very dangerous. Um, so I, I, I promised them to get medical care within 40 minutes anywhere in Iraq. So I had um, access to, to, uh, to help with helicopters and things like that. And uh, I promised them a medical case of X. And I also promised them leave every three months because of the stress, insurance and hospitals and all that stuff. Guys, when they realized that, and when they started settling down and realized that they actually got all that, I had no problem with keeping people in my company and in fact my country managers stayed with me some of them are still there 16 years and all my team leaders I had served most of my team leaders for at least 10 years all just because of that so so it, it shows you know in, in a trust in, sense in respect as I said trust and respect and, and trying to, to get that and that gets you loyalty let me tell you a story about a guy called Dick Davis so Dick was um, in the beginning the security for us as well for SAIC a company that we were all we were there to to recreate radio television and newspaper for the Iraqis and so we were we were um, part of the logistics and, and the, the building all these things and Dick who was a the retired um, senior warrant officer of Delta Forces had a group of guys all Delta Forces guys um, retired who were the security and we were in in this, this big sort of a, a camp area where we were building towers and, and building this television station. And um, there, next to us was a high-rise building with, uh, with, with condominiums and flats that uh, the Iraqis lived in. And we started getting what I would call sniper fire from this high-rise building. It started just as random shots uh, close to people, not, not hitting people. Um, but it, it immediately caused us all to, to obviously be very skittish, uh, started wearing body armor. And then uh, a group came to the gate of this compound and uh, bristling with weapons. And the Iraqi said to the guard at the gate and to those who, who were close by that we've got to get out of there. 
uh, we are not welcome there. And if we do not get out, we must just know we will be uh, killed, we will be shot at from this high rise, and we will be um, forced out by, uh, by them just killing off those that they could see as we went forward. It was very interesting, the, the reaction. Everybody uh, freaked out, but not Dick Davis. Dick immediately got his group of guys. Um, they, in fact, there were four of them, five of them, just on that specific thing. And uh, they kitted up, put body armor on, got all their weapons, invited me along, walked across the street, walked into that building, and uh, at gunpoint, um, the two guards of these people in the building, he, they got them at gunpoint and said, we want to see the person who was at the gate now, immediately. We were marched up nine flights of stairs to, uh, to meet this guy and, he, and his cronies. And Dick walked into this guy and said, okay, here's the deal, guys. My name is Dick Davis. I'm a Delta Force guy. I'm an American. We are not moving out of this compound. And here's the deal. And he took off his body arm and he said, do you see that we're all wearing blue shirts? So please, when you are up in your building and looking down at us, if you want to shoot any of us, if you want to shoot anybody, go for the blue shirts. But here's the deal. If you fire one shot, whether you hit us or whether you don't, whether you hit me or whether you don't, I want to tell you, I will come back here. I will find you, all my people, if you happen to kill me. I will find you. I will find your family. I will destroy you. We know how it works. And then we'll burn down this building. So it's up to you. Do what you wish. But just know what the consequences are. He left his body armor off. He turned around and walked out of the building with his guys. Guys, we never got a shot. We never got any hassle from anybody in that area at all. And you can imagine the loyalty of all of us to Dick and his men after that. I mean, he literally, he put his life on the line for us right there. Phenomenal. So you can, you can imagine. Um, the, the next part of another little war story of, of being getting loyalty through actions, you know, um, obviously at the end of 203, it started getting very, very dangerous. Um, and uh, uh, it turned from logistics to, to security. And I was in Iraq um, and our, the contractors and the clients that we had were getting very, very skittish. And I realized that. And so I decided to stay. And I actually stayed downtown Baghdad for three years. Um, I didn't come home. My wife flew into Kuwait um, for two weeks at one point, but I just decided to, um, to stay and to show all my clients and my men that from the CEO to all my highly trained PSD, we would stay with the clients. We would make sure um, that they were safe. And we got a name for that. We actually, um, uh, we, we lost some of my men and we got uh, a lot wounded, but our clients were never ever hurt and we always got them through. We did over a million miles in Iraq and we earned the respect of our clients and my men um, just by being there and doing the job that we had to. And of course, because of that, um, the company grew because we got more clients, the clients knew who we were, what we were doing, um, respected us and gave us their loyalty. And so we got more and more contracts and uh, the thing just grew and then of course into other countries as well. So all just because um, you, you do what is required, you gain respect, you gain trust and, um, and things look after themselves.
finally, the 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 last story of 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 where I found just by doing things with your men and and letting them realize um, who and what you as the core value of your company is. Um, we, as I told you, Ambassador Bremer had 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 just closed down the Bath Party, who would have been the, the, the party for, for Saddam Hussein. But the problem with that, in retrospect, it was actually a mistake, because the Bath Party also had all the military and they had all the police. So those institutions were broken down inside Iraq. And because of that, um, the the violence, the insurgency actually started, it, it started pushing up and up and up and up at the end of 2003 and into 2004 and it became really, really dangerous. And, and at one point, um, we all thought uh, that there may be an insurgent, a, a, a resurgent, and that we may be, uh, have to, to evacuate. And so all the big uh, countries, the, the Americans, the, uh, the Aussies, the, the, the Brits, or the various areas, the allies who were in the various areas of Iraq, started organizing um, ways to evacuate their personnel. And we all knew that as Americans and or Aussies and, and Brits, we would be flown out um, when the time was required. But for me, having all these other guys, um, there wasn't actually a way out. So, so we, and because in those early days, we were actually building our own vehicles and armoring our own vehicles, I had a lot of um, armor plating. So we got a, a 20 foot um, container, Connex, and we lined it with, um, with armor plating. And we cut two holes in the top, and we came up with a plan that we would put um, those that couldn't be evacuated into that container with weapons uh, on a flatbed, and we would drive down to the Tigris River that flowed through Baghdad and um, dump the container in the, uh, in the river and float down the Tigris River out of Baghdad. In fact, the Tigris River eventually where it joins um, the Euphrates, uh, you know, people say that was where the Garden of Eden was. So float down to the Garden of Eden and, um, and escape that way. So when we were counting up all the guys to see who would fit in there and who wouldn't, um, they, they said, well, of course, Marius Junior and, and the other Americans will, will leave by air, so we have a place for you. And we said, no, no, of course not. We, we're not. We're not leaving, as none of you would have. Um, we're not leaving. We're going with you in the container. We're doing this together, guys. And we plan to all do it together. Well, it never happened. We didn't have to evacuate. But that thing that we were going to stay with our men and just, just uh, evacuate with them, it, it turned, again, the culture inside my company of who we are, what we, that we're a team, that we trust each other, that we respect each other, that we have each other's backs in the PSD teams, right up to the CEO, um, created a phenomenal environment. And I still believe that the way that that company grew was because of that. So um, it loyalty, Yes, the open door policy, the, the building up the, the, uh, the careers of your people, all the normal things. But guys, just action, showing your people in your company, showing your colleagues, showing your family 
showing your friends, showing your children, just by your actions, and gaining their respect, and gaining their trust. And so as in West Point, and as in all the other academies, and all the other people in uniform, look what we've seen with the, with the nurses and the doctors in the front line of COVID, and just their actions, and how we respect them. And so therefore, of course, they gain each other's loyalty. Here's the deal though. The best part is we, as men of faith, imagine as we get what we are getting from our men in uniform, that loyalty that just is given to us just because we're Americans, imagine just because we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and the way and the life, just because of that, we get from the Lord pure love for us, his everlasting grace, and we get specifically that unswerving allegiance, that love, that faithfulness, that devotedness, the dedication, the constant loving protection, just because we are believers. So, guys, grow in your faith. Grow in, in giving and deserving loyalty and grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Because through that, we all get that he gives us willingly, unconditionally, undeservedly, and by his pure love for us and his everlasting grace, we get his loyalty, we get his love, we get his grace, just for being believers. Thank you very much. RS, good morning. Can you see me there? And yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Hey, that was just amazing. I'm uh, <clears throat> sitting down taking some notes. So I'm going to be looking kind of back up, up and down, and we're going to talk a little bit, but uh, just amazing. I love when you said the unswerving allegiance and dedication and constant about loyalty. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, thank you for your service as a uh, career law enforcement officer. Um, I certainly appreciate that and, and understand uh, some of those loyalty aspects that you talk about, especially in our current environment, what we're doing. But uh, I love also what you said. Uh, basically, you know, we're talking about leadership uh, uh, through service and people and earning loyalty by mentoring folks and uh, jumping in a foxhole and, and leading by example. And we saw that. And uh, I particularly kind of wrote down here about earning respect and trust. And I think that's so key and so vital to any leadership role as we go through that you know i i often say i teach in martial arts and and in my own uh leadership you know the greatest gift we can ever give somebody is our time and attention mm -hmm. we spend a little bit of time and we, we we pay attention to them we're earning that that trust and the worst thing that anybody can ever learn lose is their trust when you lose your trust i you know you feel it at the bottom of your heart and it's just a, a horrible thing so um as i'm going through here i did uh Oh, and I, I love this part here about gaining loyalty through actions. I mean, that was pretty cool. You know, we just, I think so many people in today's day and age uh, feel like they kind of earned, have earned things for, for no particular reason. Mm. Um, and as you finish it off with, uh, you know, I, I think as humans, we, we often struggle with this. Um, God gives us his loyalty. Mm. And like, even though we don't deserve it, he gives us that love and grace and and that unswerving, as you said, allegiance mm -hmm. to us. And, and I don't know about you, but I mean, to me, that's just humbling. It's mm -hmm. so humbling each and every time I think about that. 
but I, as I was going through, I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking about, you know, as a law enforcement leader, certainly I'm dealing with lots of things, and the community's dealing with lots of things, and I know you guys are as well, but so this is one question I always ask myself as a leader, and I want to kind of ask you, how do we earn trust of the community? Because you, you, you really keyed on how trust was so important. So I want to hear from your perspective. You got the military perspective. You got a son who's, who's a pastor and a leader in our community. And I know uh, he and I have been uh, working together. But how do you think, how do we earn trust in our community? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I know, um, and I live here in, uh, in a little place called Hickory Hammock. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, and right there, I mean, let, let, let's even start in our own community, in our own uh, neighborhood and uh, and what role do you play there and and how do you interact with various people and, and how do you make sure that that you know your neighbors and you know uh, the people around us and and just for me um, opening yourself up to chat to people to to you know we, we're all inclined to to just pass each other and uh, a cursory little nod but so few, and of course we watch our phones, right? And it's all just watching, watching phones. But to actually be in community and to stop and somebody says, hey, how are you doing? You don't say, oh, I'm fine. Actually talk and actually get to know each other. And through that, uh, helping out to two houses down from me some time back, they were, they were broken into um, way back when and, and giving them just simply some support in what they're doing, helping them out, letting them stay with you for, for, for a day or two. It's, it's basic things to me. It's through action, people see your heart. Um, it's, it's, so in the, in the wider community, Winter Garden, where, where, where we live, and, and uh, where, where the, the coffee shop auction is, um, seeing people there, meeting people there, um, opening yourself up, allowing, uh, people to to ask you whether mentoring um, just just being available and and it's it's very very often about time right not not about money not about it's just being available to people recognizing where there's need and actually leaning into it and uh, and there, there are some people here that do that all the time and, and that, that give themselves and, and serve and serve our little hickory hammock and serve the community guys that's the way to do it I agree. You know, I definitely couldn't have said that better. Like I said earlier, you know, investing in people. I think yeah. so often, especially as leaders, you know, so often we, we are compelled to think that our job is to save the world. And it's it's really to make a difference in one person's life at a time. And yeah. sometimes yeah. as cliche, cliche as that may sound, it's investing just uh, one moment, one time, one space and uh, and being there with that person. And, uh, and I kind of feel that. I, I really feel that as a leader, too. People always ask me that question, you know, leading a law enforcement agency right now, they're going to ask me, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And uh, as Christians, I think we know what we need to do is invest in people, invest in our relationship with Christ. And I think sometimes the world is saying like, no, 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 we, we need broader, bigger uh, things to solve this entire problem. And, uh, and I think we realize as Christians, you know, we, we know what the answer is. The world doesn't want to hear what that answer is. It's a relationship with Christ. But as we invest and those small spaces that you talked about, um, I think we're we're investing in Christ in that way. Yeah, you know, um, there's, I, I, you know, the little starfish story. 
of, of this youngster walking down the beach and there's all these starfishes that have all washed up onto the beach and uh, I mean yeah. thousands of them and he, he was chucking them back and this gentleman came to him and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm saving starfish. He said, there's millions of these. I mean, you can't make a difference. And he took one little starfish, threw it back in the water and said, it made a difference to that one. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, so understanding loyalty, and like I said, you have a military background, and me and my law enforcement, I spent 15 years on a SWAT team as a team leader. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, we, we think these all the time. Yeah, I said this all the time. When I went through a door on a high-risk situation or a barricaded gunman or something like that, you know, uh, one of our Latin phrases was numquam dubitatio, which means never a doubt. I never had a doubt that the guy behind me would step in front of me for that bullet it, he never had a doubt that I would do that for him and so on and so forth. How as a Christian men's ministry community do we get that level of loyalty with each other? And how important is that? You know, it, it's interesting because sometimes we, we are we are inclined to be a little bit um, afraid to uh, to wear our faith uh, on our sleeve. We, we um, uh, in fact, just a little while ago, with all this, this racial tension and everything else going on, um, we, we had a, a group of men get together, um, various races, and we talk about that. And one of the guys said, you know, um, he, he felt uh, he was, um, uh, the, the, there was some, some racial issue going on, and, uh, and this guy at, at work, and um, he said the joy to him was that uh, one or two guys who were good, strong Christian men actually stepped up and said, hey, guys, um, that's not right. It's not. Uh, it's not fair to, to to do that. And we as Christian men should not stand by that. And they actually opened themselves up um, to say, A, I'm professing my faith, but B, I'm standing for what is right in this work environment. So as, as I don't think that we must be afraid, especially in this time. Where, by, by the way, this whole cancel um, culture that we're going through, that you can't say. You can't even say what political party you belong to because as soon as you do that, uh, you are either vilified or you're not vilified or, or whatever, in, in either way, whatever you are. So, so as, as a Christian, I think have the courage to know it's about him, it's about Christ, it's about um, his, his grace, uh, and live that, but, but live it bravely. I mean, really, just, just, I am a Christian, that's who I am, I'm a Christian man, um, I live my, my, my life that way and uh, uh, just be brave enough to say so. That's awesome. Great. I love that. Yeah, God says, you know, if you acknowledge me, right, for others, what's going to happen? He's going to acknowledge you when that time comes for us. So, uh, so I love that. And I really appreciate that. That was just, just so incredible and so awesome. Again, I appreciate your, your time and your service. Uh, thank you for what you've done. Uh, I know we've seen each other kind of back and forth at church and now we're not even really at church kind of here back. So I would love an opportunity to kind of sit down and pick your brain a little bit more and talk to you more. You've had such an amazing life. And, uh, and uh, I know again, with your, with your children and your grandchildren that you spoke about. Uh, so it's amazing to see uh, it's clear that, uh, that you're reaping what you've sown with a, uh, with a wonderful family that you have. And it's just amazing. I think as men, we, uh, we sit back and we think, you know, that's what we want. Uh, we want at some point in time for somebody to introduce us and, we want to finish well and say, you know, I've been married 50 years. I've got all these these grandkids. I've, I've got this. I've got that. Not that I have it, but this is what God's blessed me with. And, uh, and I think that's just so amazing. 
I think every single man that's on here kind of sits back and, and thinks for a second and goes, you know, when, when I finish, when I when we all get close to that last quarter of where we're at in our life, we, we all want to be able to say that. So congratulations, sir. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for uh, speaking today. And uh, and God bless you and God bless your family. I want to thank you a lot. Thank you so much. I, I do want to just say, really, uh, honestly, all the stuff and all the things that you hear, uh, it is purely by the grace of God. By the grace of God, there go I. I mean, I literally, uh, my last little little story that I'll end you all with, and that is that imagine that I had, in trying to make a life here, I'd failed four times, guys, and eventually I had to pack up my family and leave. And and we, we, were, we were just done. And some of you have heard the story. And my neighbor, Jim, who we had helped out with, with various things, an ordinary neighbor, and he said to me, Marius, how's it going? I said, Jim, we're, we're, we're done. We have to go home. Uh, I've tried for 10 years. I didn't make it. And because we'd become friends, he went, he said, I, I need a smoke. And he went inside and he came out uh, puffing away on a cigarette. And, uh, and uh, he, he said to me, Marius, uh, you need to stay. I said, well, Jim, we can't stay. We're going home. And he said, no, you're not. And he gave me, he said, he has a gift, not a loan. And he gave me $100,000, my neighbor. And we started again. And the Lord said to me, you of little faith, you think this wasn't my plan? And we were given the gift of America by my neighbor and by the Lord and guys. But for the grace of God, we wouldn't have been here. And it's all him. It's his plan. It's his plan in my life and it's his plan in your life completely. Wow. Awesome story. Yeah, absolutely. As leaders, people see all those great things, but they don't see uh, everything uh, in the past, all those failures and all those heartaches and all those hardships. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. Well, Mike, are we going to pop back on here? Oh, it looks like I'm going to close here. Once again, my mute. Uh -uh. And that was, yeah. But by the grace of God, that that really touched me, Marius. So your whole your whole uh, your whole uh, morning did. Um, yeah, great, great, Dave. Thanks for calling me back on. I'm I'm here only to remind you, Dave, to uh, talk about the bed build. That is my role. Yep. That's it. And I got that down. Like I said, we were uh, we were playing uh, playing this ad lib this morning as we went through. So, hey, guys, I want to remind everybody this mororning we are finishing up. And uh, first, thank you guys for the Iron Man God. This is just amazing. Um, this Sleep in Heavenly Peace bunk bed build, as you guys know, uh, Bill Carlton is our local chapter president. Uh, my wife and I have been involved with that for uh, just shortly after we uh, began, began here in the West Orange County. And what an amazing mission that has been. But we have another build today. Because of COVID, it's been a little weird. We did a build last Friday, a partial build. We're doing a build this morning right after this, about 8.30. So this may be the first time you're hearing about it. You don't need to sign up. Uh, go to Mosaic Church, to the back side of Mosaic Church. Be there at 8.30. Uh, we're going to sand some more uh, wood. We're going to put some things together. And if you can't make it today, tomorrow, um, we're going to be off of uh, Plant Street at, um, what's the name of the church, Jesse? Can you remind me here since I'm throwing... Right here. Yeah, it's right at the corner of Lakeville and Plant Street, right there. So it's actually about a half a mile away from Mosaic. So we're just kind of moving the location to finish up over there. 
but a great mission. And if you guys haven't done that, yeah, I'm so I'm I'm so honored to be a part of this community where we raise seventy five hundred dollars. This community right here in Iron Man of God, um, which is going to supply forty beds. Uh, Found Life Church. That's it. Found Life Church. It's going to supply supply forty beds for kids in our community in and around our community who don't otherwise have beds. You know, and being in law enforcement. These are one of the things I've seen over the years. My wife was a detective for some time. So we can tell you just some some really some some bad stories, some horrible stories going into communities where the, the entire family and, and as we deliver beds, I've seen that entire families are sleeping on one bed uh, and sleeping on a bed that I kind of promise you uh, we would not sleep on. You know, uh, that's how bad a shape it is. So just to be able to kind of uh, do this great thing and walk in there and, and give them a bed. Uh, to see kids out of all ages, anywhere from three to 18 years old. Um, and a quick story on that, you know, a 14 year old young man one time, we delivered, I think five beds. And we literally delivered the bed and it was the only thing in the house was there was these beds. They were just moving in, but they really didn't have any other furniture. Uh, and as this, and we made the bed, a 14 year old boy kind of ran over and jumped on the bed. He's like, he's like, this is my bed. And we're like, man, this, yeah, this is your bed. I don't have to share it with anybody. This is my, I get to keep it. Like, no, this is your bed. And I realized like he's 14 years old and this is the first time in his life he's ever had a bed. And his entire life is just amazing. So it's kind of humbling. It's amazing to do. So right now we're building these beds. We're, we're, we're building all the stuff together. And then immediately right after, probably starting next week or so, we're going to deliver, which is just amazing. So if, if you're, you're helping build the beds, that's really incredible because you get to see how they're put together. It makes it easier to deliver them later on. Um, but if you get an opportunity to serve the community and deliver those beds, it is powerful, it is humbling. Uh, and I think the one, one of the most important things that we can do is just serve others. I think we show God's love and God's grace by, by serving others. And, and the last thing I'll kind of say about that, every time I go to deliver a bed, you know, there's a little, little thing inside you that thinks you're doing something good. Um, but it always turns around at the end. It always turns around and it's humbling, and you receive much more than you could ever imagine by doing that. So I encourage everybody, everybody here in Ironman to do that. And oh, by the way, today and tomorrow, bring your family. Bring your family on out, so it's a great family project. We don't, if we're only down to two hours, 8.30 to 10.30. It doesn't take much of your time. You can go have lunch afterwards and make it a great family project day. So with that, I'll sign off. Thanks again. Hopefully everything went well, and thanks to all the first-timers. I forgot, actually, I did forget this is uh, the coffee, so we're not doing breaking off in the sessions, but hopefully those guys have returned back. And uh, Mike and Dave, David, thank you for what you guys do for Ironman. I really appreciate it.